I'm Lee Rowland, and from the ACLU, this is At Liberty, the show where we dive into today's most crucial civil rights and civil liberties topics. Today, affirmative action and the case against Harvard. Harvard University is facing a lawsuit alleging that its undergraduate admissions practices unlawfully discriminate against Asian Americans. The suit is the latest salvo in the legal battle over whether and how schools can consider race as a factor in their admissions process. Here today to help us understand the stakes for this lawsuit is Jin Hee Lee, Senior Deputy Director of Litigation at the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund affectionately known in the civil rights world as LDF. She represents more than two dozen Harvard student and alumni groups who have filed briefs with the court considering the case against Harvard to defend Harvard's current use of a holistic and race-conscious admissions process. Jen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be a part of this podcast. So if you're willing, I'd love to start with your biography. Can you tell us a little bit about your own background and how you came to be a civil rights advocate? Yes, and actually, my background is very much relevant to the issues in the Harvard lawsuit. I grew up in a very small town in rural Tennessee, and it was an all-white community. And it was that experience of being the only person of color, my family being the only people of color in this community, that really forged in my mind the importance of race and how much that determines someone's opportunities as well as the burdens of being a person of color and whether it's explicit or implicit discrimination that a person of color, especially children, can experience. And it's that experience that really led me to want to become a civil rights lawyer and in particular focusing on racial justice issues. Tell us a little bit about what kind of civil rights work you've done. I have been with the Legal Defense Fund for over 10 years now, and I've been practicing for um, almost 18 years. And a lot of my work has focused in the area of criminal justice, uh, both in terms of police reform, as well as representing defendants in death penalty cases and juvenile life without parole cases, uh, mostly because I think that it's evident to many people that the intersection of race and the criminal justice system is one of our most pressing racial justice issues that we face. I also am responsible for overseeing our education docket, and that's something that LDF has been working on since, you know, before Brown, the Board of Education, the famous decision by the United States Supreme Court that ruled that separate but equal is unconstitutional and that governments should treat people of all races equally. LDF has been working to expand educational opportunities for children of color for many, many years. And that's one of the reasons why we have always been very active in the area of affirmative action in higher education. Can we start by defining that big term? What is affirmative action and has that changed over the years? So affirmative action means that institutions, for example, colleges and universities, need to take affirmative steps in order to provide opportunities for people from certain underrepresented and historically marginalized groups um, 
Affirmative action is the counterpart to colorblindness. A person who believes in colorblindness really assumes that the world is equal and that everyone begins on equal footing. And if that was the case, then there would be no need to take any affirmative action because everyone would have an equal chance to, for example, be admitted to Harvard College. But as we all know, that's not the case because of prevalent and persistent discrimination, whether it's in education or housing or criminal justice system, just, you know, racial discrimination is just so pervasive throughout our society that institutions like Harvard should take that into consideration with an eye towards building a diverse student body, knowing, of course, that, and this is what's very specific about educational settings like, you know, colleges and universities, is that the diversity of the student body is such an important part of the educational experience. Why should schools consider race? Is it primarily as a curative for past racism, or is it a mechanism to make the school as a whole as diverse as possible? Or or is it both? So I personally argue that it's both, that it should be curative as well as to reap the benefits of having a diverse student body. The United States Supreme Court, which has addressed this issue in in numerous cases, has actually focused more on the benefits of diversity in the educational setting um, by noting that colleges and universities have an institutional interest to create a diverse student body because that creates a much more fulfilling but also productive and beneficial uh, educational experience to be exposed to different ideas, to be challenged, to meet and interact and speak with people who are very different from you, who come from very different backgrounds, whether it's in your classroom or even outside the classroom in social settings. Can you tell us a little bit about the case against Harvard? Sure. The case was brought by an organization called Students for Fair Admission. And even though it purports to represent the interests of Asian American students and applicants, it's in fact an organization founded by Ed Bloom, who is somewhat of a mastermind behind these um, anti-affirmative action cases. He was behind a case that was brought against the University of Texas that went all the way to the United States Supreme Court and lost. And um, he's also behind a case that's currently pending in the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And Mr. Bloom was also responsible for the lawsuit that gutted the Voting Rights Act that uh, led to a Supreme Court decision that really hindered enforcement of the Voting Rights Act and and led to uh, a lot of problems in terms of voter protection for people of color. And one of the distinguishing features of this lawsuit is that it alleges that uh, Harvard's race-conscious admissions policy discriminates against Asian-American students and applicants, which is very different from the case that was brought against the University of Texas, which alleged that that university was discriminating against white applicants. And personally, as an Asian-American who believes strongly in racial justice and would denounce any form of racial discrimination. I find this particular strategy to be particularly troublesome and somewhat nefarious because what the plaintiffs are trying to do is pit racial groups against each other as if diversity in higher education is a zero-sum game that somehow benefiting one group would somehow harm another as opposed to the reality that diversity in colleges benefits everyone, including white students as well. 
And so it's a very disappointing strategy for these plaintiffs to take. Do you disagree with the description of the university admissions process as a zero-sum game? I absolutely do, because obviously not everyone can get admitted to the university of their choice, but it's still very important for a college or university to ensure that the student body that they ultimately have is representative of people in society. This is not to say that they should lower their standards or admit unqualified students. But the idea is that there are sufficient, qualified, talented, brilliant students of all races, and it's to the benefit of all the students who ultimately get admitted to have exposure to a diverse array of people. The other problem with the plaintiff's argument is that they very much rely on standardized test scores and what they call objective factors to determine merit, which, in fact, there's been evidence and studies shown that those kinds of so-called objective factors are really not objective and themselves have a lot of discriminatory elements that disadvantage certain students, especially Black and Latino students. Can you tell us a little bit about the mechanics of how Harvard operates its admissions process and, and how it is conscious of race in doing that? Absolutely. I think one of the misunderstandings about the admissions process in Harvard, as well as any college or university that considers race, is that it is only permissible if race is one of many factors that the college considers. And so in Harvard's situation, they have a holistic admissions process where they look at the whole person. And a part of that whole person is that person's race. And in fact, Harvard's expert did an analysis of how much of an influence race goes into the likelihood of an applicant getting admitted into Harvard and found that other factors such as the intended major or the intended career of the applicant has a greater effect on whether a person gets admitted into Harvard as opposed to race. So the effect of race is actually not that significant. It's one of many, many factors. The plaintiffs want to eradicate anything to do with a person's race from the application process. What they are seeking in this lawsuit is for a person to look at an application packet and not know what the race of that person is. And when you think about that, that means that a student applicant couldn't talk about their own racial or ethnic identity or perhaps their immigration story or perhaps challenges they overcame because of their race or ethnicity in their personal statement They wouldn't be able to identify any particular achievements specific to their own racial ethnic community or immigrant community. And so what the plaintiffs are really asking for is quite extreme and also unrealistic when you think about a person's identity. Uh, We, you know, at the Legal Defense Fund, uh, represent 25 student and alumni organizations at Harvard. And we have actually asked the court to be able to participate in the trial in order to give the court the benefit of hearing directly from Harvard student alumni organizations as to the importance of diversity, racial and ethnic diversity in Harvard in terms of both their educational experience, but also the very existence of these student organizations and alumni organizations themselves. Because what we've seen from Harvard's expert is that if we eliminate the consideration of race in Harvard's admissions policies, there is expected to be a 50% decrease in the number of Black and Latino students who are admitted, 
which would be traumatic for these um, student groups and alumni groups. That is an astounding drop, 50%. Right. And what's really inconsistent in terms of what the plaintiffs are seeking is that the plaintiffs are saying that the policy discriminates against Asian Americans, and yet eliminating race would only increase the admission of Asian students by 3%, but at the same time increase the admission of white students by 8%. So really, this policy benefits white student applicants, not Asian American applicants. Even still, though, some of the allegations reporting in the media are, I think, legitimately unsavory. And they talk about a process by which Asian American students are scored with lower personality scores in a way that does overall affect their chances of admission. What is your view on those allegations and what is the solution to that if it's not throwing out all race consciousness in the admissions process? That's a really good question. And I have to admit that whenever I hear about allegations of discrimination against Asian Americans, I'm obviously troubled by that. And I also want to acknowledge the stereotypes that do exist of Asian American students and the real risk that, you know, perhaps there may be some form of discrimination that's going on. However, I think that the presentation made by the plaintiffs is misleading and deserves a bit more scrutiny. So first of all, there's a lot of discussion about the personal rating. It's not even a personality rating. And what's really difficult to ascertain is that the personal rating is comprised of a lot of different elements, including the personal essay, as well as guidance counselor recommendations and recommendations from alumni interviewers and a lot of other types of information. And as you can imagine, a lot of this information is really not derived from Harvard, but can come from someplace else. So for example, if there was perhaps discrimination among guidance counselors or discrimination in terms of the types of extracurricular activities that Asian Americans are exposed to, that may affect the ultimate rating. So that's nothing to do with what Harvard's doing. The other point to note is that if there is discrimination against Asian Americans, eliminating all considerations of race is not going to be any kind of solution to that, and in fact may exacerbate the problem. Again, some of this discrimination may result from stereotypes that people have about Asian Americans, and that will continue to exist whether or not Harvard officially considers race or not. And in fact, the appropriate response is actually to be more race conscious. So for example, if there is a concern about discrimination against Asian Americans, then Harvard should take efforts to identify what that discrimination is and to really counter that, whether it's through training, you know, implicit bias training, whether it's by gathering more specific data about Asian Americans themselves and perhaps trying to identify where the discrepancy lies. Colorblindness is absolutely not a means of remedying the discrimination. When schools have the power to consider race, how do we know that they're doing it in appropriate ways? And what do we do when they don't? So I have a few responses to that. Just because the plaintiffs allege intentional discrimination, it doesn't necessarily mean that discrimination exists. I'm not going to rule out the possibility of discrimination because that possibility will always exist and that if we suspect that, then we should try to remedy that. Um, My other response is that there was a time a few decades ago 
when Asian Americans were very much underrepresented at Harvard, mm -hmm. and they were not even considered a racial group to benefit from affirmative action programs. And it took efforts by advocates so that their representation would increase. This was discussed in a submission by one of our clients. Her name is Margaret Chin, who is a board member of the uh, this alumni or and student organization called the Coalition for a Diverse Harvard. She herself was recruited by Harvard students uh, when she was a high school student in New York City. She grew up in Chinatown in New York City. Neither of her parents went to college. She did not ever dream of going to Harvard, but was recruited by these Harvard students. And it was during that time where there really was an underrepresentation of Asian Americans. And since that time, she has been very active in recruitment of Asian American students. So the idea that they are not a beneficiary of race consciousness is really contrary to history and to facts. And, and if you look at their representation right now, there are more Asian Americans in Harvard than there are Asian Americans in larger societies. So again, I can't say that there is evidence of intentional discrimination, but what I will say is that if there is a possibility of discrimination, what the plaintiffs are trying to achieve through their lawsuit is not really going to benefit Asian Americans. And so you have to question what their motives are and what they're really trying to achieve, which is, you know, colorblindness, which in the end benefits white students more than anyone. Gotcha. So even if they're right on the facts, your position is the remedy they're seeking is kind of a red herring. Yes, but I don't think that they're necessarily right on the facts. And I also think that it was very strategic to bring uh, this lawsuit on, purportedly on behalf of Asian Americans because just by making that claim, it makes it much more controversial. It makes it much more newsworthy and it raises concerns that don't necessarily align with the facts themselves. But again, I would never say that there is no discrimination. I don't know that. Right. None of our clients and certainly not the Legal Defense Fund would ever say that Harvard is perfect in terms of its admissions policy and that there is definitely perhaps room for improvement, but that doesn't mean that they should eliminate all considerations of race. I'd like to understand how this case fits into the law on affirmative action more broadly. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the Supreme Court has already said universities can and cannot do when it comes to considering race? One of the concerns about this lawsuit and Edward Bloom's efforts is the fact that he is bringing these cases despite the fact that the United States has ruled repeatedly that colleges and universities may consider race as one of many factors. It cannot be the deciding factor. It cannot be the sole factor. But it's one of many factors in order to pursue its institutional goal of establishing a diverse student body. And that has been ruled repeatedly by the United States Supreme Court. So despite this settled case law, he keeps bringing these cases to pretty much try to reverse that case law. What's primarily different about this suit? Is it the optics you mentioned of pitting racial minority groups against each other? Or is it really just a placeholder in hopes that they'll have a new Supreme Court when they get there? You know, I can't even presume to know what the strategy behind the plaintiffs are, but that, of course, is a possibility. But I think that another defining characteristic of this lawsuit is this effort to pit different racial groups against each other. And it also, you know, the media coverage of this lawsuit doesn't accurately portray the general consensus among Asian Americans on this issue. Because in fact, 
two-thirds of Asian Americans are actually in support of affirmative action. And this has been consistent for many, many years. It's actually only been for the past four years where Chinese Americans have seen a drop in their support for affirmative action. So in 2012, 78% of Chinese Americans were in, in support of affirmative action. And, and that has declined to 41% wow. in, in 2016. And so when we talk about Asian Americans' views of affirmative action, it's really important, one, to recognize that Asian Americans are not a monolithic entity. There's wide disagreement um, on various issues. The majority of Asian Americans are in support of affirmative action. Do you have thoughts on why the support for affirmative action has come down in recent years? You know, I'm not an expert on this particular issue, but some of the people who have written about this phenomenon have noted the influx of Chinese immigrants in recent years and that many of these immigrants are more fluent. And so they have different priorities. And the issue of admission into elite institutions like Harvard is a priority of theirs. I also think it's really important to note that there are some sub-Asian groups that do not have the opportunities as other, you know, Asian subgroups. And um, in particular, Southeast Asians, for example, who in many ways face um, similar obstacles as Black and Latino students. And, and they themselves may benefit from affirmative action policies where an admissions officer could look at their application and see that they may not have the same opportunities as other applicants uh, for various reasons, but that their experiences and who they are and what they bring to the university is worth having in order to have this diverse student body. Does school's ability to use affirmative action depend on a single vote? That is, could a single justice flip this law entirely so that schools are banned from considering race? I think that's a difficult question because I would hope that the court would look at a specific case and the specific circumstances of that case. And for an issue as settled as this, to overturn that precedent would be a dramatic turn of events. I mean, that would be a change in law that has been established for several decades. In ruling on affirmative action, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor wrote that the court expects that 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary to further the interest approved today. Um, she said that in 2003. So I think it's fair to say that that was quite obviously a ridiculous timeline, both then and with the benefit of some years. But can I ask you what you think of that general approach to affirmative action? Do you see it as something that lies on a timeline at all? Uh, what does affirmative action look like as we become more diverse and, and get better representation for marginalized groups? Well, I think that when Justice O'Connor made that statement, it was made with an idealistic optimism that we as a country would make significant advances in racial justice. And that, I think, is the false appeal of colorblindness because it appeals to what we hope our society would be. But it's a false appeal because it's very much contrary to the lived experiences of people of color in this country. And I think that the notion of us achieving a post-racial America or a society that racism no longer exists is evident just from recent years where 
we've actually made many significant steps backward in terms of racism, things that our president or even anyone in public would not even consider or even dare say, you know, in years past or now said without blinking an eye. And I think that that's a sign that racial discrimination in the United States is still a problem and it will remain a problem unless we're vigilant to remedy it. So to think that we can eradicate the vestiges of discrimination that existed for centuries in just, you know, even a few decades is very unrealistic. Jen, thank you so much for being here to talk through this with us today. Thank you for having me. This was really great. Thanks for listening to At Liberty. Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 